Welcome to the Kettle Call podcast. This is the first episode of our Feedlot Research Brief series. During the next six months, we will be summarizing feedlot research papers related to protein nutrition in the audio version, but also in the printed version that is out in our Kettle Call newsletter. If you want to receive our newsletter, make sure to subscribe by using the link in the description of this episode or by sending an email to kettlecallucd at gmail.com. Remember that call is only with one L. Send an email with the title subscription and we will add you to the list. Announcement made. Let's go ahead and call Brooke Latek to join our call. Hello, Brooke. Hi, Pedro. How are you? Good. How are you? Is it a good time for a call? Yeah, it's always a great time for a cattle call. Great. Brooke, can you tell us a little bit more about the paper that we are discussing today? Who are the authors or the author and where and when it was conducted? Sure. Today, we're going to talk about an article titled Crude Protein and Amino Acid Requirements of Growing, Finishing Holstein Steers Gaining 1.43 Kilograms Per Day. This was written by Dr. Richard Zinn, who is here with down with us at the Desert Research and Extension Center. And this was all done down here at our research center in um, 1988. Wow, that's a long time ago. I, I don't think you and I were born back then. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I shouldn't have said that was a long time ago. Maybe just say that was recent published would be, would be nicer. But let's go back to 1987 and give our listeners some information on how we were feeding cattle here in the valley back then. First, these were calf-fed hostings, which are right now the most common cattle fed here in the valley. And you notice that most of the feedlot research briefs that we are going to talk are going to be fed calf hosting steers. Again, they are the majority of the animals that we feed in the valley. Those are the animals that we use in our research center as well. And second, similar to what we do today, we were starting those calves on feed with about 120 to 130 days of age with approximately 300 pounds. That's when we used to start them on feed. However, back to 30 years ago, they used to feed animals for around only 280 days, uh, the calf-fed hostings again, and they were finishing those hosting steers with approximately 1,100 pounds. So I will ask, Brooke, for how long and how heavy we finished calves here in our feedlot last year? So this last group, we fed for around 330 days, and we finished them at about 1,450 Wow, that's a big change. We are now keeping them longer on feed, which led to finish them with much heavier carcass. And we remember last year when we went to the slaughterhouse, we actually saw some animals with 1,700 pounds. We were talking about 1,100 pounds back in the day, and now we are talking about 14 and going up to 1,700 pounds. One of the things that hasn't changed much is our interest in researching protein requirements of calf-fed hostings. Right, Brooke? Yes, definitely. So this specific project, they were looking at evaluating the protein and amino acid requirements for calf head Holsteins during the early feeding phase. Okay, so how they did that and how early and how long was that feeding phase? So what they ended up doing, they took 144 Holstein steers that were about 360 pounds. So these guys were a little bigger because they were backgrounded for 35 days before the start of this project. And so this was a 70-day trial and they wanted to supplement 
supplement different amounts of blood meal in order to get different amounts of crude protein in the diet. So there were four treatments. The first treatment had zero blood meal, which gave the diet about a 12.5% crude protein. The second treatment had 1.5% blood meal, giving 13.7% crude protein. The third treatment was 3% blood meal, which gave 14.8% crude protein. And then the fourth treatment was 4.5% blood meal, which gave 16% crude protein. So they were increasing from, they had four different treatments, right? Right. And they were increasing protein levels from 12 and a half up to 16% crude protein. Exactly. And another important part of this study was that they wanted to restrict average daily gain. And they did that by calculating how much the animals should be eating every week in order to gain only 1.43 kilograms. So every week they were going back there, seeing how much the animals were eating or estimating how much animals were eating and adjust the intake so the animals would be gaining exactly the prediction that was 1.43 kilos which is close to 3.2 pounds a day, correct? Exactly. And they were pretty successful on that. Yeah, they they hit pretty close to exactly what they wanted. And we can see that the equations that were developed here in California were very accurate in predicting the performance of those animals, the calf-fed hosting steers, and we're still using them, and they're still very, very accurate. Exactly, yes. One question that I want to ask you is why they were using blood meal, and why do you think we don't use them as much right now in our feedlot? So it's a great question. Um, so this was porcine blood meal that they were using. Obviously, they're not feeding cattle blood meal back to the cattle. But blood meal has a great amino acid profile and is great for increasing crude protein. Like we saw, um, just increasing a little bit gave them almost a 4% crude protein increase. And so it's great for that and meeting the needs of the cattle. The problem today, though, is that the cost of blood meal is extremely high. So as, as a feedstuff, it's just not economically feasible. That's important to mention that even though blood meal has a very good amino acid profile, cost is also very important for us who are formulating diets for feedlot cattle. Exactly. So Brooke, one important, why do you think they were limiting the gain of those animals? Is there any reason do you think that they were doing that? Yeah, so by limiting the gain, they took out one variable that could affect the outcome regarding whether or not that crude protein difference improved energy efficiency of those animals. Correct. So what we often observe when we do those protein studies is not always a difference in average daily gain, right? Right. Quite often we observe some potential differences when we observe some in feed efficiency. And that's what's exactly what you were just saying. The animals, they need to meet their requirements for maximum gain. And sometimes they they are gaining their maximum, but the amount of feed that they are eating is what you're going to, to see that's different. So when they don't meet the protein requirements, they would just keep eating to meet that and then achieve their maximum potential of growth. Right. One of the things that we observe is that uh, the animals are actually gaining very similar and they were also eating very similar among the treatments. Why do you think that we did not observe differences in this particular experiment? Because they were eating the same and they were gaining the same, we were able to then understand that the 695 grams per day of protein that they were eating was adequate 
for the growth that they were experiencing during that time period. Exactly. So we were just talking that when the animal doesn't meet the requirements, they're actually going to eat more to achieve that intake. But in this particular case, our control group were actually having their requirements met. So that control group didn't have to eat more to meet their requirements, correct? Exactly. And I think that's one of the biggest take-home message for this experiment. When we have the requirements that are met, adding protein doesn't add too much effect on the gain of the, the animals or the performance of the animals. Exactly. Yeah. If, if you're hitting their minimum requirements, you're going to see this almost the same performance. Perfect. I think that's the biggest take-home message for me. I don't know if you have any other big take-home message from this experiment, something that we missed that you want to bring up. No, I, I think when I was reading this and learning from it, that was the one thing that really stuck out to me. I agree with you. And I think that's that's a great point. That's just a starter for our project. We will talk about other different projects, but it's very interesting to see that 30 years ago, they were already looking at protein requirements. And over these 30 years, Dr. Zin and many of other students and researchers are studying that. In fact, we are doing research in protein requirements right now to see how important is this topic. So I invite all of the listeners to keep listening to us. We will bring other topics and see what we draw this timeline. That's just a start. We have other five episodes to tell you guys where we are today in this topic of protein requirements. Right, Brooke? Exactly, yes. That's really good. You have any final announcement, Brooke? Nope, nothing from me. Okay, it sounds good. Thank you very much, Brooke. I appreciate you taking your time and, and being another call with us. And I just want to ask you, is it a good time for a call? It's always a great time for a cattle call. Great. Thank you, Brooke. Have a good day. Thank you. Lonesome cattle call.